We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to talk about exegesis, the application and interpretation of the Bible of Scripture, and how we respond to people, even pastors, who don't know their Bible and don't know what they're talking about. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to today's show. Thanks for listening in. I really appreciate the loyalty of all of you who do. Remember that if you'd like to subscribe to The Rebellion, you can do so by going to patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper. That's patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper. Also some more housekeeping here before we get into today's topic, which is exegesis. Now, what does that word mean? It means the interpretation, application of the Bible When you hear a theologian talking about exegesis, and don't get confused because it sounds like Jesus, it it doesn't, it's not even spelled that way. That's just the pronunciation of that particular word. Exegete is to apply, to extract from Scripture the proper interpretation and the proper application of that particular passage to our daily lives. So when you exegete something, When you perform exegesis, you're interpreting the Bible. So today's show is on how do you do that accurately? And do people know their Bible when they're uh, posting it on Facebook? Or does your pastor even know the Bible when he engages in a sermon? That's today's topic. And I'm going to use an example of something that was posted on Facebook recently by one of my friends down in Florida. I'll get into that after the show. But remember the housekeeping here. Uh, patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper if you want to subscribe to The Rebellion. And if you go to my website, dreverpiper.com, you get access to all of the back issues, the cataloged issues of The Rebellion. You can go back to all 500 of them if you want, pick out your favorite episodes, and then post them out there on social media. Thank you for doing that. That increases the listenership. And you can also find my books on my website, The two most prominent are The Best Seller, Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth, and then the sequel, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. And if you'd like me to speak at your church or political event or whatnot, on my website there's a tab where you can actually schedule me for speaking. I do a lot of that, and I'd be delighted to come your way and help you out with whatever's going on in your church or your respective organizations. So, Let's take a break, and when I get back, I'm going to share with you this post, which is an excerpt from a sermon, a real sermon given by a real pastor, and how people are responding to it. Um, And I'll give you my closure, my take on the whole issue. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, so welcome back to The Rebellion. I said I want to uh, read to you an excerpt from a from a sermon that a pastor gave. It's, going, it's floating around on Facebook right now. And um, 
The topic, uh, I guess it's relevant, all topics are relevant, context is king. The topic is this sermon um, uh, on homosexuality and divorce, and it's laden with airs. Let me read a portion of it to you that was posted by a friend of mine from Florida. Uh, It actually says this, the pastor, now according to a few passages in the Bible, homosexuality is is a sin. Then a couple of older males in the audience shout amen. The pastor says, now wait, I'm not finished. You know what else the Bible defines as sin, don't you? Divorce. And then there's an uncomfortable silence. The pastor goes on. There are countless passages that talk about how divorce is wrong and that there are consequences to getting a divorce, such as a wife should be stoned. I want you to listen to this. Remember that the pastor just said countless passages that talk about the consequences of divorce, such as the wife should be stoned. Yet, I witnessed a divorce just this morning, says the pastor, and I got to tell you, it was heartbreaking, but I definitely didn't attempt to throw rocks at the wife, even though she was the one who filed for the divorce. We choose to overlook the consequences of divorce because time has proven that they're inhumane and cruel. So he's saying the consequences are inhumane and cruel. He apparently is referring back to the countless passages that tell us we should stone women who get a divorce. The Bible doesn't say anything about the consequences of a homosexual lifestyle, says the pastor. Did you hear what he just said? The Bible doesn't say anything about the consequences of a homosexual lifestyle. Yet we seem to be spearheading the campaign to ruin the lives of people we don't even know. And then the pastor shifts um, a few notes around, says this summary of his sermon. And he concludes by saying this, the Bible states to love thy neighbor. That's it. There are no other rules, restrictions to that passage. So we as a church family have to support equality with a smile on our face. That is true Christianity. Now that's the Facebook post that's going around. Now the thing here is that is a real sermon. I looked it up and it's a sermon delivered by a guy out of North Carolina. And, uh, This is a sermon that he's using at multiple locations because he's being called upon, apparently, to speak in various different places. And as he does so, he repeats the sermon over and over again. So um, what I want to talk about right now is how to respond to this. All right. So I I responded to my friend who posted this and I said, uh, his name's Bruno. And I said, This is very poor exegesis. Now, what is exegesis? I just told you what it was. Exegesis, and by the way, it's spelled E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S, and it's pronounced exegesis. So again, don't get confused because it sounds like Jesus. It's just the pronunciation of exegesis, to exegete, to extract, to apply, to interpret Scripture accurately. And I've said to Bruno, my friend who posted this, this is very poor exegesis. Now, why do I say that? Well, first, the Bible doesn't say that we're not supposed to judge. Everybody's jumping all over this issue saying, oh yes, the Bible says we're not supposed to judge. We're not supposed to judge anybody for anything. Uh, Jesus says, judge not lest ye be judged. Um, the, 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 The pastor is implying this in his sermon, that somehow there are no restrictions to loving people. We're just supposed to welcome them, embrace them, and not judge them as they come into the body of Christ or as they engage in culture around us. 
But you've heard me say before on this show, that is not a complete explanation or application of that passage out of Matthew, where Jesus says, judge not, lest he be judged. Context is king. And what's the context? The rest of the paragraph. Jesus doesn't say not to judge. He says, judge not, lest he be judged. So what's his point? His point is, when you judge, be prepared to be judged in the same manner that you just did. In other words, don't be a hypocrite. Uh, he, He talks about, in the same sermon, that if you've got a log in your eye, don't worry about the speck in your brother's. In other words, don't be a hypocrite. Get the log out of your eye, and then, he says, you can help your brother get the speck out of his. So then, go judge your brother accordingly, lovingly, appropriately, and help him get the speck, the sin, out of his life. You can't do that if you're not judging. So it's the proper application of judgment that's in play here. And by the way, Jesus goes on in the next paragraph and talks about, by their fruit you shall know them. So doesn't that sound like you're supposed to judge people by their fruit? Judge yourself by your own fruit because you'll be known by your fruit. If it's inconsistent, if it's rotten, then you're probably not being true to the, to the, the faith that you claim to embrace. By their fruit you shall know them. So not only are you judging your own fruit, but you're judging the fruit of others. He says them. So this judge not statement that we hear over and over again is terrible exegesis. It's terrible application. It's terrible interpretation of Scripture. So first, the Bible doesn't say don't judge. It says judge not lest he be judged. And again, I said it over and over again. The next few sentences, Jesus goes on to tell us to make judgments and to how to do it, to do it with integrity. Second, um, if you're angered by my first point uh, because you find it too judgmental, uh, well, (laughs) you need to understand that your indignation is a judgment. You get what I'm saying here? You're sawing off the branch upon what you said. You have no reason to engage in in this conversation that I'm having right now, whether it be on Facebook or radio or podcast or face-to-face or in writing, you can't engage if you don't believe in judging because your engagement presupposes a judgment. You disagree. That's a judgment. You think I'm wrong. That's a judgment. You're getting angry at me right now. Well, that's a judgment. Your indignation presupposes that you disagree and that disagreement is predicated on making judgments. So it's silly for our culture to continue to throw out this one Bible verse, the most famous verse of all, I guess, in the opinion of the postmodern left, judge not lest he be judged without reading it in context. Because you can't listen to anything I just said for the last 10 minutes on this show without making a judgment. You're either agreeing or disagreeing with me, and obviously you're judging my words and my attitude and my presentation accordingly. So you can't saw off the branch upon which you sit without falling down and crashing. And that's the problem with those who say, judge not, lest he be judged. They're always judging when they say that. Third, my third point in saying, um, this is bad exegesis and why I say that, is this. The pastor in my friend Bruno's initial post, and I read that that excerpt from his sermon there, uh, he doesn't know his own Bible. 
Now, why do I say that? Is that presumptuous of me to say that a pastor doesn't know his Bible? Well, yeah, I can listen to what he said, and I can read what he wrote. The, The Bible doesn't say that you're supposed to stone divorced women. Show me the multiple passages in the Bible. And he says there are many. There are multiple passages in the Bible that talk about stoning divorced women. Show me one. Show me one. No, the Bible doesn't say that. This is terrible sleight of hand. His entire argument in this, in this, in this sermon and in his posts on Facebook is it's grounded in a false premise. What's a false premise? It's a lie. The pastor's lying. The Bible does not say that you're supposed to stone divorced women. In fact, when he was confronted on it, when the pastor was confronted on this, he referred to Jesus and the woman caught in adultery and how he told the uh, people that were judging her that he, he was fine if those who with, are without sin want to pick up and pick up the first stone and cast it. So the point in that story is that there was a woman caught in adultery, okay, not getting a divorce. That's not why she was dragged into the public square. And yes, the Old Testament does call for capital punishment for adultery. Yes, it does. But as I've talked to you before, you've got descriptive literature, you've got prescriptive literature, you've got proscriptive literature, you've got prophecy and poems, you've got parables. There are various different genres of literature, and you also have the progression, progressive revelation of the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And you have context, the context of the Jewish culture and why God gave them given rules on dietary restrictions and on other things like this and capital punishment. The context of establishing Israel as a clear, distinct nation with boundaries that made it different than the cultures around them has to be considered as we're reading a lot of the Old Testament passages. And as you read the progression of Scripture, when you see Jesus saying that the law was made for man, not man for the law, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, when you see Jesus saying things like that, and when you see Peter in his writing and Paul talking about how the old dietary restrictions have been supplanted by the freedom of the New Testament, and that the laws of the Old Testament haven't been done away with, but that they've been fulfilled in Christ and his sacrifice for us so that we can receive forgiveness for the violation of those laws and then live freely within the grace of Christ. When you see that explanation of the old being um, abrogated by the New Testament, you have to take that into consideration. That's another show for another time, I suppose. But my point here is, this guy, this pastor doesn't know his Bible. And everybody on this thread on Facebook, apparently don't, they don't know it either because there was only one person who said, can you show me a bunch of passages in the Bible where women are supposed to be stoned for, for excuse me, stoned for divorce? Scripture does not show that. And I responded to this guy and said, the reason nobody is giving you an answer right now is because those verses don't exist. Um, here's one way for me to tie a bow around this part of my argument. Uh, The Bible does speak to the issue of being a false teacher. It does speak to the issue of lying and building your argument on a false premise. In fact, 
um, it says this, For a time will come when people will, put, will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Close quote. Where's that in the Bible? Well, that's the Apostle Paul. That's St. Paul writing to his mentee, the guy that he was mentoring, and that's Timothy. Uh, That's in, uh, let's see, that's 2 Timothy, I believe. Um, So you can go to the link of this pastor's sermon and how he is just clueless. And he's been called out on it. People have challenged him. Where does it say that in the Bible? He says, well, the woman being stoned. And then he says, there are other passages, but I just, I can't remember and cite them right now. That was his response. I read it. Now, doesn't that tell you that there's something wrong here? Now, there's a fourth reason that I'm saying everything that I just said right now in terms of this being terrible exegesis, okay? He says, this guy says, there's lots in the Bible that talks about what to do when people get a divorce. Women should be stoned. Um, And he goes on and says, we don't do that anymore, and that's a good thing. Well, that's, that's a good point because Jesus summarized, summarized, didn't get do away with Old Testament teaching. He still was holding to the fact that you should not get a divorce. And if you're listening to me and you're divorced, I, I don't mean to offend you. Um, that's not the point. The point is what the Bible says. And are we applying that to our lives in a consistent way? The Bible does say divorce is, uh, is, is not a good thing. It breaks families, it breaks relationships, and you're supposed to avoid it. There are certain terms in Scripture that make divorce acceptable. Infidelity, for example, is one of those. If someone is unfaithful, the Bible does clarify how to get a divorce accordingly. Um, but to just run out and get a divorce because you're, you're, you're tired of your spouse? No. Jesus makes it clear that you're not supposed to do that, as well as the original teachings of the Old Testament. That's why there was such a severe um, reaction to infidelity, because it could lead to the breach of relationships and the breach of the marital uh, family unit. Husband and wife raised, married, living together faithfully and raising their children accordingly. That was the family model. And oh, for those days, right? I mean, if we could just go back to those days. So, but back to my, my, my next point with regard to um, this pastor's sermon. He says the Bible doesn't say anything about the consequences of a homosexual lifestyle. Are you serious? Oh my! I mean, I could spend three shows sharing with you what the Bible says about the consequences of a homosexual lifestyle. I mean, read Paul in Romans. Read Peter in his second epistle. How about Jude in his letter to the first century church? Or if that's not good enough for you, how about reading Jesus himself in Revelation 21, where he says, outside are the dogs, those who practice sexual immorality and deception. Okay? Jesus is making it clear that those people who practice sexual immorality, that's pornea, okay? That's the Greek word, pornea, for sexual immorality. It's an umbrella term that includes all of the prohibited sexual practices that the Bible has always made clear. And homosexuality has always been underneath that umbrella, along with adultery and fornication and uh, uh, prostitution, etc. All of this was considered porn, pornea, and none of it was acceptable. We were supposed to 
die to those old urges and old behaviors and be transformed in Christ and be made new. You're new creations in Christ. You're supposed to set aside all that stuff. And it's very clear that Jesus is saying that if you don't, um, he's pretty he's pretty aggressive here, Revelation 21, where he says, outside are the dogs, those who practice pornea, sexual immorality, which would include all of the stuff, sexual immorality and deception. Deception, hmm, the pastor might want to attend to that one too. So uh, the Bible doesn't speak to it? Well, how about Paul in 1 Corinthians? Uh, he says this, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and the kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. Let him who has done this be removed from you, removed from among you. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And I wrote to you, he says, not to associate with sexually immoral people, not to associate with anyone who bears the name brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality. Purge the evil person from among you. I mean, the Bible doesn't speak about the consequences of a homosexual lifestyle? Are you serious? You don't think that's what Paul's referring to there? He's saying purge the people that are engaged in this stuff, sexual immorality, pornea, from you. There are consequences. A little leaven leavens the whole loaf. He goes on to the church of Galatia. He says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible doesn't speak to this issue and the consequences therein? My goodness. How about the church of Ephesians? He, he writes to the church that's in Ephesus in the first century, and he says this, Sexual immorality and all impurity must not even be named among you. Let no one deceive you because of these things. The wrath of God comes. The Bible doesn't speak to the issue and the consequences of engaging in pornea? My goodness, pastor, read your Bible. How about this? Paul writes to the church in Colossia. He says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Hmm, hmm. That might be appropriate to apply to a pastor's sermon where he's off base, where his premise is wrong, where it's deceptive, it's deceitful. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. On the, on the account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Put off the old self and its practices and put on a new self. Hmm. The pastor says the Bible doesn't speak to this stuff. And the consequences of breaking the rules of God when it comes to sensuality, impurity, passion, evil desire, sexual immorality. Those preaching a different philosophy are doing nothing but peddling empty deceit. That's what Paul says to the church of Colossia. And then he writes to Timothy, and he says this, In later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful teachings. I would apply this to any sermon. If the guy isn't grounding his premise in the Bible, and he's uh, saying something that's contrary to the Bible, misleading you, that's a deceitful teaching. What does Paul say? He says, Has, have nothing to do with these irreverent and silly myths. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Why? Because it's the measuring rod outside of all things being measured, and you can do no measuring without that true north. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teachings 
that accord with godliness, he understands nothing. That's what Paul says to Timothy when he's encouraging him to stay away from people who are engaging in irreverent and silly myths and deceitful teaching. He goes on in his second letter to Timothy, and he says, In the last days there will come lovers of self, proud and arrogant, without self-control, not loving good, lovers of pleasure. Avoid such people. Now, when you we just, we just left Pride Month. Proud, arrogant, without self-control, not loving good, lovers of pleasure. Does that sound like what you saw in the Pride Parades? I would argue it does. I would argue that that narcissism, that arrogance, that pride, that lack of self-control, defining yourself because you don't want to control yourself. You're going to be governed by your gut rather than governed by your God. Without self-control, not loving good, lovers of pleasure. They're defined by their desire for pleasure. Paul tells Timothy, avoid such people. These men, he says, oppose the truth. They're corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. Hmm, seems like Paul is saying there's some consequences here. Consequences, but yet this pastor is saying that the Bible never speaks to the issue or the consequences therein. All right. Uh, to the church of Thessalonia, Paul writes this, The Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven and with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel. Seems like Paul's saying there will be consequences. No, it's not just Peter. Excuse me. It's not just Paul. We've got Peter. Peter comes along. He says, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring destructive heresies, and many will follow their sensuality. They will exploit you with false words. But these, like irrational creatures of instinct, blaspheme about the matters of which they are ignorant, and they will be destroyed. They are full of insatiable sin and adultery. Gloom and under darkness is reserved for them, says Peter. Pretty strong stuff, right? Pretty strong stuff. And then Jude comes along. He says certain people have crept in who pervert the grace of God into sensuality. Jesus judged Sodom and Gomorrah, which indulged in sexual immorality, pornea, and pursued unnatural desire with punishment and eternal fire. So don't let anybody tell you don't let anybody tell you that the Bible doesn't speak to this stuff. It does. I mean, like I said, I've got tons more I could share with you right now from the Bible. The Bible is clear. And any pastor that gets up and tells you that the Bible doesn't speak about homosexuality or the consequences therein or any other, any of this other stuff, arrogance, pride, whatever, if they're saying the Bible doesn't address it and doesn't speak of the consequences, and if they're saying, well, all we should be just doing is love, love, and don't judge because the Bible says, judge not, lest you be judged. Just ask them to read the rest of the paragraph and explain to you how it is that they're disagreeing with you if they're not judging you. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.